Howdy, welcome to another episode of Cannon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I interviewed Dale Partridge about his new book, The Masculinity of Christ, as well as his new program, where you can mail someone a tract in a Bible. You can check that out at mailthegospel.org. Dale was once a guest on Douglas Wilson's show, Man Rampant, which we are actually in the process of releasing our brand new season, season four. Head to mycanonplus.com where we are streaming it exclusively to find season four. And this week you can find Pastor Toby Sumter's episode, No Mere Mortals. This season has featured the likes of Michael Foster, James White, Alan C. Carlson, Pastor Toby Sumter. The next week, Dr. Scott Yenner, and lastly, but not least, Pastor Jared Longshore. If anybody was keeping count, these are all Canon Calls recurring guests. I can't recommend this season enough. Go find it at mycanonplus.com. Now, without further ado, meet Dale Partridge. Now welcoming on special guest Dale Partridge. He is the president of relearn.org and Reformation Seminary. He is the author of several Christian books, the host of Real Christianity Podcast, and the teaching pastor at Reformation Fellowship in Sedona, Arizona. Thank you so much, Dale, for your time. Hey, man, I'm excited to be here. Uh, so I'm having you on. Uh, you are uh, a friend of Canon's. You were on uh, season two, I believe, of Man Rampant, if I remember right. And That's right. it's uh, it's very good to have you back. Yeah, I, you know, just a big fan of the whole Moscow crowd. Uh, by God's grace, Doug uh, was a, a friendly to me uh, several years ago and, and invited me up to spend some time uh, with the Wilson clan. And uh, that has continued to be a relationship that has been kindled through you know, phone calls every couple times a year and, and, uh, love everything that Canon's doing. Obviously Jess, uh, the president over there at Canon press, uh, is a friend as well. And watching what you guys are doing over, uh, over there as a community, as a, as a ministry, as a, as a company. Um, so yeah, excited to chat about, uh, like-minded stuff, you know, the gospel, uh, the great commission, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Well, thanks. And uh, we will make sure we disagree at some point. You know, I, I have orders to talk to you about baptism. So, um, <laughs> you know, just so everybody, you know. Uh, <laughs> but you do have a new book that I want to talk to you about, as well as uh, uh, sort of a new vision for evangelism. Is that? Would you describe it like that? Can you tell us a little bit about about this new project? Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's talk about this project first because I think it's it's vital. It's um. You know, before I was in ministry, I was a business guy. And most guys usually go from ministry to business, not business to ministry. Sure. Uh, and I was uh, uh, years and years and years uh, into the e-commerce space. The uh, just uh, you know, started probably, I don't know, 10 different companies. But uh, what I was, th that season of my life, I learned one really important lesson. And that lesson was this. The best ideas solve problems. Now, there's not every uh, problem is worth solving. And also, uh, the best ideas solve the best problems, the right problems. And we have to figure out what makes a problem worth solving. And the best problems to solve are problems that are urgent, required, and painful. 
Uh, that's why toilet paper keeps selling, right? Because it's solving an <laughs> urgent, required, and painful problem. And so uh, we want to look at those problems in the church and go, what are these urgent, required, and painful problems? And I look at it and I realize that uh, the, the Great Commission is urgent, required, and for many people sharing the gospel, it's painful. Uh, and we, we try to figure out why, because we basically learn that if you have a church of, say, 500 people, um, and you, you look at that church and you go, how many of you guys in this church want to share the gospel? You're going to have probably 500 hands raised in the air. The problem is, is that current statistics say that it's only about 3 to 10% that actually share the gospel. Now, lots of people share the gospel or sh- share their faith, share, talk about the Bible, mention Jesus, but very few Christians actually share what I would call a bad news, good news gospel. I mean, a, a real biblical gospel. You were born as a sinner. You're under the law. You've broken the law. You're under God's wrath. You need to be forgiven. You need to repent and believe in Christ alone. That, that true framework of a biblical gospel is very rarely preached, and it's very rarely preached for three reasons. Uh, three primary reasons is, number one, people fear man. Uh, obviously, this is something that is sinful. It's also something that we uh, fall prone to. Uh, the reality is, is that a lot of people fear rejection. They fear the persecution, the arguments, whatever it may come as a result of sharing the gospel, especially telling someone that they're going to hell. Uh, this, the second major reason that people don't share the gospel is they don't feel properly equipped and trained to present a theologically accurate and eloquent presentation of the gospel, uh, which is, again, another failure of, of evangelical modernism in the sense that we, we don't have sound doctrine in many of our churches. And as a result, we don't actually have the ability to train them up in proclamation and heralding of a true gospel message. And so uh, that's another dilemma in itself. The third reason is uh, people are afraid of the apologetic questions that come as a result of, a, of a preaching the gospel. You know, they don't want to get in the arguments of, you know, moral relativism and what about the dinosaurs and Big Bang Theory, whatever, right? Like they're, they're just, they, they're not prepared for those types of follow-up questions, whether they're genuine questions uh, from, from honest skeptics uh, or not. We're not prepared to answer those questions in most cases. So you have uh, several reasons that are layering on top of each other for, for the average Christian of why they're not sharing the gospel. And so I thought, well, we got to solve this problem. How do we, how do we ignite uh, the church, giving them access to do what the scripture calls them to do um, and overcome these, these barriers? And I didn't want to overcome them superficially. I wanted to overcome them truly in the sense that I don't want to create just a, a solution that overcomes the problem, but actually doesn't solve the bigger problem, which is we need Christians on the streets, in their homes, in their towns, in their communities, in their schools, preaching a biblical gospel uh, when the Lord prompts them to do that. I, I, I'm, you know, I don't think we need to necessarily be sharing the gospel uh, at every single waking moment, but we do need to be willing in season and out of season to preach the gospel uh, with a willing heart uh, when the conviction of the Spirit comes to say that this is it right now, this is the time uh, to actually do it. Um, and I know many times some of us have been sitting there and go, man, I'm, you feel convicted to share the gospel with someone you don't. Um, just a few weeks ago, I was buying some uh, copies over at Office Max, and I was sitting there, uh, and a gentleman uh, wearing a dress was helping me, and he was uh, living in this transgender lifestyle, 
And I was sitting there and I just felt the, the Holy Spirit just going, hey man, this is, this is it. You gotta share the gospel with this guy. And I'm going, man, okay. Um, uh, I end up actually not sharing the gospel. I end up driving away. Um, I go to another store and the same guy's there checking out at the grocery store that I'm checking out at. Wild. I'm like, wow. I'm like okay, um, all right, Lord. Um, and I see this guy and uh, I've, I still uh, fail to do it because, you know, uh, he who knows to do the right thing and does not do it for him, it is sin, right? So I'm sitting there, I'm still sinning. And I get out to my car um, and I see this guy walking out and his car is parked right next to mine. So I'm like, okay, this is it. Like I get out of the car, I get out and I say, hey, hey man, I actually said, hey man. I said, hey man, I, I just wanted to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I went into a full gospel presentation. I had a gospel tract uh, with me and I gave that to him. Uh, he received it without aggression. Uh, who knows what the Lord's gonna do with that planted seed. And I got back in my car uh, and drove away. And so uh, there's moments like that that come. And we oftentimes uh, fail and, and there's, there's driving reasons, even for the best of us. I, I'm an evangelist. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy that loves to share the gospel, but there's just those times that even hit me. And so we wanted to create a problem or create a, a solution to this large problem in the church. And so we created a, uh, a program called mailthegospel.org. Mailthegospel.org. And what is Mail the Gospel? Essentially, uh, I went back and I, I wrote out a gospel tract. Okay, most gospel tracts, Jake, are terrible. Um, <laughs> they're ugly, they're short, or they're too long, or they're, they're doom and gloom, or they're too soft. There's just, there's, there's just not many out there. And then on top of that, they're printed on like the worst paper you could find. They're basically designed to be trash. Um, and so I, I thought, how do we reinvent the gospel tract? And then I realized, okay, most conversions throughout church history came from preaching, preaching the word. Um, you figure the Bible wasn't really even in print in great format until like the 1500s. Uh, and so people were converted through preaching, hear, hearing the word being preached. Um, and, and so I, I thought, let's make a gospel tract that's in sermon format. That's really presented in the way that people historically uh, have received Christ uh, most effectively and, and most fruitfully. And so we, I wrote a gospel tract that takes about 10 to 15 minutes to read. Now, this is key because most tracts are either too short or they're too long. And you want to be able to get a pretty robust gospel in there. And you can't do that in three minutes. Um, and you don't want to, you know, give them a brick to read that takes 40 minutes to read. And so uh, we, we crafted out this gospel tract. And then we have a theological advisory board with a handful of uh, theologians, guys that are smarter than I am, doctorates in theology. And we reviewed the entire thing and uh, scrutinized it, you know, really looked at every possible way to make sure that this was a, a very effective presentation of the gospel, and um, and it, it it was it was a fun task. I, I you know I went to seminary for five years, and so it was a really great, um, I guess, expression of everything that I had learned over the years and put it together in this gospel presentation. And we packaged it up in this beautiful little booklet. It's a four by six booklet, beautiful paper, you know, um, 
It's got a, a gold foiling on the front. It, it's not something that you're gonna throw in the trash. And it's perfect bound, it's not saddle stitched, it's really nice paper, it's got an ESV scripture index in the back, whole deal. And we thought, all right, now we got this tracked. Uh, we created a couple other versions of those tracks, one for uh, the same core message, but the introduction and conclusions are focused on other issues like someone that has depression and anxiety or someone that has somebody who just recently died or is chronically ill. And we, we uh, are now making this available for people to mail to other people. So if you go to mailthegospel.org, essentially this is what happens. You enter your information, you uh, choose the tract that you wanna send, uh, you enter the recipient's address, mailing address of who you wanna send the gospel to. And you can personalize it or you can leave it anonymous, which is a really great feature because we want you to personalize it. Sure. We, we don't want to replace evangelism. We want to nurture evangelism. And for many people, this will be the first step. Like, hey, let me, you know, hey, John, it was really nice seeing you at the conference last weekend. We got a chance a little bit to talk about church and faith and, and such, but I, I really wanted to give you a presentation of the gospel. Here's a, here's a tract. If you have any questions, give me a call, right? We want people to do that. Uh, however, there are some unique circumstances in which sharing the gospel anonymously is actually gonna be helpful. We all have some of those family members maybe that are uh, living a different lifestyle, right? Uh, and we are, uh, we've already shared the gospel with them several times. And to be honest, if you share the gospel again, they're gonna reject it just because you shared it. Um, and so there's some opportunities or, you know, your boss or your neighbor or whatever it may be that, that might have a, a touchy situation going on. But again, we, we want you to personalize it, but there's those circumstances that I think make it easy to do that. And so you can personalize it or, or make it anonymous. You can also add a Bible. So we, we brokered a deal with Crossway. They gave us a really insane price on Bible. So you could basically send a full ESV thin line Bible for like 10 bucks. And so you, can, awesome. so you can do a gospel tract, a Bible, or a gospel of John for even cheaper. And then you just basically pay for shipping and you mail them the gospel. And what they get to do, Jake, is they get to, they get to open this in the privacy of their own home. And they get to really look at this as a, as a gift. They get a Bible, they get a note. Maybe if they personalize it, they get the gospel tract. And then if they read the gospel in the back of the tract, they actually, we don't leave them high and dry. We have a QR code or a URL, whatever, however they get to the site. It'll take them to forward slash welcome. And we get them connected to a pastor if they want to talk to a pastor. We get them a Bible if they don't have a Bible. And then we connect them. We have a church finder with all these incredible Bible-based reformed churches. And so it's just a score. It's just a score. And I have no idea what's going to happen because we launch you know, this week. That's uh, awesome. And so that's the story, Jake. I talked for way too long, but there it is. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So it launches this week. Uh, well, this week when folks are listening to this, uh, it's exactly. it's currently June 15th. Awesome. Awesome. So by the time, especially by the time this yes. comes out, you will definitely be able to access that. And what was the website again? Mailthegospel.org mailthegospel.org and we'll put that website in the show notes as well. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, we we would love to maybe have you come back on and share we'd love to hear stories about it once 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 it's up and running maybe by Christmas. Yeah, I I have a feeling that we're going to 
the Lord's going to use it in a variety of ways to create some incredible stories. That's awesome. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we, we, all of us get, you know, uh, you know, mail that we just throw in the trash and people, you know, it's funny that, that, uh, right now it would be more effective to actually mail somebody the gospel than email them the gospel. Sure. Um, we're, we're oversaturated in a digital age. And yep. when someone sends you something, there's just a like, oh, okay, what is this? Like, let's open it up. Let's take a, You got a better shot at someone actually reading it. That's a good um, point. That's a good point for sure. If it's digital these days. So yeah, excited I have to imagine it. too, the sort of the substance of the Bible too, you know, just like something you can, you know, it's kind of vaguely heavy. You said it was a thin line, but even that, you know, it's kind of substantive. It's... Definitely, I think I think that's uh, certainly more effective than what you were saying with an email. Yeah, and you know the cool thing about it is that the reason we made these tracks so nice is that we didn't want them to be thrown away, uh, and the reason we don't want them to be thrown away is because they they you know behold the gospel, and the the thing about the gospel is that we want people to essentially let's just say that somebody receives this tract and this Bible. And instead of reading it, they just put it on a shelf. Well, the thing is, is what about 10 years later that somebody, their grandson or child walks in that room and finds that gospel tract in that Bible? Right. Uh, the, the Lord will still use it to save somebody years later, decades sure. later, maybe. Sure. And so it's an amazing thing um, just to get tracks printed and out into the hands of the public. Um, and, and Bibles in the same way. And so how many people have stumbled across a Bible in their moment of need? And, sure. uh, and the, Lord, the Lord saved them. And so excited about just getting those in the world. Awesome, awesome. Dale, do you mind telling us a little bit about your new book? Yeah, so uh, I wrote a book called The Manliness of Christ. It was actually uh, a thesis paper for uh, my final Christology class at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, my professor was actually uh, Owen Strand, and oh, nice. um, and so I, I wrote this paper. Uh, and by the time I was done with it, you know, at that level, you're writing long papers, uh, yep. you know, twenty five page papers. And um, I thought, wow, if I added a, a, a beefy chapter to this thing, I could turn it into a little book. And so I, I I thought I'd turn it into a little book because a handful of people liked the article. Uh, I like the paper, and um, we we got uh, we we actually uh, pre-ordered the book, and we had like a thousand people pre-order it. I was like dumbfounded. That's I just awesome. didn't expect that to happen. Obviously, I think it's it's a timely book, um, yeah. and the subtitle of the book is how the masculinity of Jesus eradicates effeminate Christianity. Um, and so we have this, uh, I, I think there's a problem that everybody's seen. So we, we, uh, we, we ordered our first run of books. We, we're almost through, uh, we're almost a, yeah, we sold almost 3,000 books in the last eight weeks. Um, it, it's, it's still stunning to me. And it's a little book, it, it's small. Um, it's only like 80 pages long, so you can read it quickly. Uh, and we, we created a study guide for it and lots of guys have been going through it together. Um, but I mean, it hits pro, you know, it hits topics like patriarchy. It hits topics like biblical patriarchy, I should say. But it hits topics of, of, um, of you know, postmillennial, uh, you know, tones on there. It has uh, discussions around 
you know, boldness and courage and bravery and, and masculinity. And, and also, you know, briefly touches on biblical femininity. And um, it's really probably a stark contrast to Dane Ortland's uh, Gentle and Lowly. And okay. the, the, prob- the problem with, uh, you know, again, you could, Dane could probably say this about my book. The, the, the problem about books like Gentle and Lowly Uh, which, in my opinion, is a fine exposition of the gentle and lowly characteristics of Christ. Um, The problem is, is that's what the culture wants. It wants this gentle, effeminate, you know, Roman Catholic painting where Jesus is wearing blush and his eyebrows are tweezed. They they want that that version of Jesus that's this kind of genderless Jesus. Um, And... uh, you know, I, I wanted to create a a book that really focused to, focused more on the masculine traits of Christ because I think that the most masculine man that ever walked the earth was Christ. And when you start to see the things that the church has neglected to emphasize, uh, because we have an emotionalized culture that wants to, uh, you know, look for a soft Jesus that you can, you know, raise your hands in the air and sway your hips to. Jesus is my boyfriend or whatever. Um, so we, 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 I really spent a lot of time focusing on what are the rugged side of Jesus because it's there in the scriptures. Um, I mean, the very fact that Jesus knows that he's going to the cross, he knows what's gonna happen to his body. And he actually, it talks about in the gospels that he's up in front walking to Jerusalem. Like, like people can't keep up with him. He's on his way, he's focused, resolved, on his way to die. Um, there's just a level of intensity. Um, you know, the church doesn't want to talk about the flipping t- tables, the, the intense language. Uh, you know, he, he, I was thinking about, uh, I forgot what passage it was. I was just looking at, I think it's in John chapter eight, but Jesus is like, you know, I'm not like you. You're a liar and I'm not like you. <laughs> I'm just thinking, just an amazing statement that Jesus is just straight calling people liars to their face. Uh, sure. Very few Christians would do such a thing today. And so it, it's just a, a short, bold, punchy little book on remembering the biblical masculinity of Christ so that we can uh, really model that. I think that's what we've lost. We, we don't, men don't know how to be men anymore. Um, and we need uh, an example. And, and fathers are good examples as long as they're exemplifying Christ. And Do you so, mind, um, you mentioned the subtitle of the book goes into sort of eradicating uh, the effeminate nature of the church, I believe, or, yeah. or at least the effeminate nature of, of the men in the church. Do you mind speaking to that a little bit? What do, what do you see? In, I, I assume this is sort of what um, encouraged the book along, like you have in mind this thing that you're you're writing against. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I, I wonder how many, maybe as you describe it, it's like, oh no, I think I might be one of those. Yeah, <laughs> it might be one of those. Yeah, um, and so essentially what you have is is you have a church that's very effeminate with um, the way that pastors have shifted their dress to the skinny jeans and the swooping shirts and whatever that might be. And then the, you have this kind of emotional message that's the emotional language you have, you know, um, share what's on your heart, you know, um, you know doing life together, um, you know, love on each other, right? You know, uh, let go and let God, you know, there's these like phrases that are out there 
there's basically, um, you know, feminism has absolutely polluted our mentality, uh, it, you know, it, as, as a culture. And so we've made everything even more effeminate. Uh, masculinity has been deemed toxic. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what, what role, how do you be a man and not be offensive to the feminists? Um, and so, you know, there was a, uh, this, this girl, Brenda Brasher, she's the author of Godly Women. Uh, she wrote in her book, she wrote, if American religion were imaginatively conceptualized as a clothing store, two thirds of its floor space would, uh, would house garments for women. And so basically the church has been designed <laughs> for, uh, for women, the programs, the, you know, everything is designed for basically the ladies. There's not actually, even our men's programs are designed after women's programs. Um, you know, men, men don't do things where they get together and wrap around in a circle and, and talk about their emotions together. Uh, now we've turned that into what a men's group is. And so we, there's a lot of unlearning and relearning that needs to occur. And, and so, uh, there's a little bit of a, uh, a theological shift that needs to that needs to happen at a larger level, and so I think really it starts with looking at Jesus, looking at his masculinity, looking what it, how the life that he lived, how he interacted with his men, how he interacted with uh, other with women, with other individuals. Um, uh, how, what was his mission? What was his heart? What was his passion? What was his resolve? What was his boldness? What was his his um, uh, how did he organize? the way that he lived, spoke, taught, thought, all of that. We, we need to relook at that from a masculine perspective, really pulling out those masculine attributes so that we can evaluate and examine ourselves against it. And, and that's really what we're trying to do. But yes, I mean, man, the songs, I mean, we're, you, you're in Moscow, Idaho, Jake. I mean, you're, you're kind of an anomaly. And I, I hope you guys know that, that you're <laughs> in a bubble um, in the sense that you got a lot of masculine men. I mean, if you live in Moscow, you have to be 6'2 plus. <laughs> um, and, and so you got all these tall, giant Idaho men. Um, but in most of the country still, you have lots of men who've forgotten to be men, even pastors who have forgotten what it's like to be a biblical man. And so, um, so yeah, it, we're like a fish. We don't know it's, we don't know we're wet. Uh, and the reality is, is that the church is very feminine. It, it, you know, we've, we've totally kicked out biblical patriarchal perspectives um, we've totally, uh, you know, d uh, segregated the, the, the church into age segregated programs where you've made somebody else, the pastor and not, and not dad. Um, so there's just so much going on that we need to restore. But I think again, it starts sure. back looking at the manliness of Christ. Absolutely. Amen. I, uh, you mentioned, you made mention earlier about, uh, a, a sort of recent theological shift to post-millennialism. Can you talk a little bit about that? Where where were you before, and, and did you start to was your position? Did you kind of shift because you found that uh, your current position or your prior position sort of wasn't answering the questions you had, or or how did that come about? So um, a couple things. Um, yeah. So I was like everybody else, premillennial by default. Sure. Uh, you know, we live in American culture that's just premillennial and pessimistic. Um, and then I, I really started, I, you know, I went to the master seminary for a couple years uh, under John MacArthur, who I respect and love. 
uh, and I still think he's, he's one of the greatest expositors alive today, but he obviously holds a different uh, eschatology than I do. And uh, I got a chance to deeply understand uh, premillennialism, even you know his his form of dispensational premillennialism. Um, I I have to really give credit to R.C. Sproul, who really shifted me into the partial preterist position of really looking at Revelation, Matthew twenty four, uh, as the destruction of Jerusalem, shifting my perspective into a historical event versus a prophetic future. Sure, that was a a major shift for me. Uh, R.C. Sproul's book, uh, The End Times According to Jesus was just radical. Um, and so that that helped me out quite a bit. And then from that perspective, I really shifted into the amillennial p- perspective, which I think is a normal flow for a lot of people. Um, and uh, it's the safe middle. Um, and you're kind of, you, you can kind of hold hands with the post-millennial without being called a whack job. Um, sure, and, sure. <laughs> and so uh, I was optimistic, you know, optimistic about the church, optimistic about the Great Commission, uh, pessimistic still about the world. Um, and then uh, I did more future study. I remember walking into the room several times, my wife going like, like I want to be a post-millennial, but I can't. I just can't do it. I can't buy in. I don't know what it is, but I can't believe it. Um, and I was so aggressive about like, like, and frustrated about like, how does Doug believe what he believes? And how does Durbin believe that? I can't understand. What are they seeing that I'm not seeing? Um, and this is like, from a guy who's been in seminary, like I'm not like approaching this like uneducated on the topic. Sure. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm fighting through. I'm, I'm looking at original languages. I'm looking at, you know, sound exegetical uh, principles, and and um, and the Lord really just started to open me up to see a the larger systematic theological eschatological perspective of Scripture. And this is what I think makes postmillennialism so difficult. Uh, for people to adopt. So one, um, it, it takes a lot of information to even like land eschatology anywhere. Sure. Um, there's a huge, huge glossary of terms. Um, and so you, you, you get in the situation where you got to even know what all the camps are. And that takes six months uh, if you're actually, you know, putting the hours in. Um, but when you get to post-millennialism, you realize that you have to have an understanding of the Old Testament and the New Testament so that you understand the whole grand biblical theological narrative of scripture, because that really unlocks the, the, the greater vision of creation and restoration, um, and, or I should say creation, fall restoration. And so, um, so I finally had, I, I narrowed it down to a handful of questions that you couldn't really Google um, and were difficult to find. So I called Doug and I said, hey, uh, would you hop on a call with me to answer these kind of core questions? And we had 90 minutes on a Zoom call, and I, I was super stupid for not recording it um, because it was one of those things that I thought, why aren't we recording this? This is great information. Um, but it was just a moment that I got to have all those <laughs> questions answered. And um, over the next several months, the Lord had just kind of unlocked. I was even my own devotional reading time. I was like, I'm going to go read Isaiah. And like, you know, I bump into Isaiah too. And I'm like, wow, okay. Um, and you start to see some of these things. And, and the Lord had just revealed several things to me 
uh, and by the word revealed for you theolo- theological people, I mean illuminated, um, in the sense of just really felt <laughs> like I was grasping some of these pieces that were missing. And so, um, um, so the big thing is this, this is the narrative for me, um, is uh, if, if Christ is reigning at the right hand of the Father, which is stated several times in the New Testament, um, and all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And, um, uh, you know, if the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, uh, and if the kingdom is like, uh, you know, a mustard seed that starts small and becomes the biggest kingdom of the kingdoms, if you will, um, parabolically, and if, you know, it's like leaven that leavens the, the whole lump, if these things are true, um, and if we look at the parallels of, of David crushing Goliath, the, the enemy of God's people, and Christ crushing the head of the serpent on the cross, the enemy of God's people, um, and you see the parallels there, and you start to see the restoration of our bodies and the restoration of creation, you start to realize that, that, that why would God stop turning his enemies into his friends? He, he did this with the promised land. Uh, the promised land was promised. He, he conquered every single one of those people for, his, for Israel. And, and they, they, they actually received the promised land. Um, and I really think about the church as being a, a parallel to that, is that we, the promised land is the, is the new heaven, the new earth, the restored heaven uh, and the restored earth. And the same way that God's people were, were uh, through God's power conquering, we will conquer through the gospel of Jesus Christ here. We will saturate. Now you think about this just mathematically. At the, at the time of Christ, you have, uh, or say at the time of, of maybe Pentecost, you have like less than 1% of the world's population is Christian. Um, today, you have about 20% of the world population is Christian. Why would you think that that mathematical trend would stop? Like, why, why would you think that it wouldn't be 25% in 200 years? And I actually think that sure. the percentages are going to speed up because... Uh, I've preached more. I've preached the gospel to more people than the Apostle Paul has. Now, not through his writings, but in terms of his physical life. And the reason is because we have the internet. Sure. Um, and we have the internet. Be- and so what I'm saying is that we have the ability to see the gospel go out further, wider, deeper, greater numbers than ever before. So I expect that we're actually going to see a dramatic increase in conversions uh, in the next 500 years than we did in the last 500 years. And so is it possible that we're at say 40 or 50% of the population of the world in the next 500 years? I think so. That's awesome. That's awesome. Amen. Well, Dale, thank you so much. Uh, do you mind, where do you want our folks to go? Where's the best place for them to see all that you're doing and, and, and kind of get familiar with you? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, we have a podcast uh, called Real Christianity. It's my podcast. This is not we, I do, but it's our ministry. Um, and I just do a weekly show uh, expositing the scriptures, talking about different issues. Um, it's a couple hundred episodes there. And we'd love to have you listening at Real Christianity. Um, and then uh, relearn.org is where I write, where I preach, where I talk, where we have all our different resources there. You can get our books and different stuff that's going on there. I also, which is just kind of a random side note after a conversation like we've had, 
but I've, uh, I'm a planter of biblical reformed house churches. Uh, I, I really think that, you know, as C.R. Wiley says that the house is the beginning of the, un- or is the, the middle of the universe. And uh, it's a wonderful uh, uh, concept to think about house, uh, church, and the home. And so we've been doing that, biblical church inside of a home. And so uh, you can uh, learn more about what we do there, planting and training men for missional biblical house church ministry. That's at reformationseminary.com. Uh, but that's that's all the things that I'm doing. I'm on social media. Our ministry's on social media. You can follow us there. Uh, but yeah, Jake, man, thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Dale. Appreciate you. <laughs>